All right, you guys. Best movie ever. All right, here we go. Um, So, welcome to Professor Latinx, and we have a nice sunny Tuesday afternoon. We're sitting here in the studio. I get the great big fortune of having Carlos and Danny and Caitlin with me in the studio today, and we're going to talk about a film that we were really excited about, kind of being released and made all Latinx cast, um, you know, a lot of in- anticipation and excitement. Then it came out. Um, I think, you know, most of us skipped it at the movies because a lot of our Latinx comics community was a little bit upset because, you know, it was being hailed as like the first Latinx superhero. And yet it's really not um, Javier Hernandez, El Muerto, but there's so many others that have come before. Um, but yeah, as way of introduction, you know, here we it came out 2019. Finally, we have an all Latinx cast and, you know, supposedly superhero movie. But we finally did get to see it um, on DVD. It was released recently. And yeah, what are, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even going to jump in here because, you know, I'm so upside down on this one. But um, Danny, I don't know. Do you want to throw us in the deep oh, end wow. here? Um, I'm, I'm like so much pressure to start. Uh, you know, I think my initial impressions of the film, um, we watched as a group and getting halfway through, I was almost like, oh, my God, like how much longer is this film? Uh, and I think that for me, uh, with a film like El Chicano, just even the naming of it sort of brings expectations about what it's going to be. And uh, watching it, I think that those expectations were, I don't know, unfortunately, you know, I was hoping that they would do something a little bit more with masculinity and ideas of uh, Chicanidad uh, that were not in stereotypical ways. But unfortunately, halfway through the film, I was like, oh, no, like, here we are falling into tropes of toxic masculinity, uh, tropes that rely on uh, stereotypical portrayals of indigenous culture. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'll put that down because I want to see how other folks also respond. So what, it was, halfway through, did you have to, was this, all of you had to take a break? We had to eat cake. <laughs> we had to eat cake and we ate a lot of it. And then we had to put ice cream with that cake. And then we had to really talk through our feelings into that cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, we, we needed a break from it. Because yeah. um, Danny said, you know, the the naming of it really it sets you up for these expectations. But with, you know, it being all Latinx cast, you're like, I was so hopeful um, and so disappointed. Uh, and that, that we needed a halftime show pretty much or mm-hmm. a halftime break yeah. uh, to finish it off. Yeah. Toxic masculinity. So let's push a little harder on that. You know, um, for those of, you know, our listeners who haven't seen it, who wants to kind of sum the movie up? Carlos, you want to sum it up or Danny? Um, okay. Well, yeah, he, it's a police officer, uh, a Latinx police officer. And he's, his brother, uh, is hinted at being the former El Chicano, um, or, or, uh, he's a former gang member, former, uh, prisoner. And, and that narrative between her brother and, and, and our, our main character who eventually becomes a Chicano, um, there's a lot of tension there and and he's trying to you know find out um 
the the crimes that are happening in the city and who they're connected to and and then he goes kind of like batman and starts to become a vigilante uh and starts to take justice into his own hands because the the justice system is failing him uh or as a police officer he's sort of bound by the law but you know it that violence is really it, it uses Aztec mythology and weaponry to to communicate that, and it it really becomes like he couldn't do it right with his gun or with as a police officer the right way in quotation marks right, and so then he starts to do it in these really violent ways that use uh, that sort of stem from the power of this ancient knife, right. And, and that knife becomes a symbolic, to me at least, it becomes a symbolic way of saying, uh, look how savage he is, that he's using this mm-hmm. knife to penetrate uh, these victims. And and it really, it just really just boils it, that that representation down to, to savagery, to primitive nature, to, and it's, and I don't know, I don't like the juxtaposition between a Latinx person doing it the right way, quote unquote as a police officer and then all of a sudden he leaves that behind in order to be more violent and be more um i don't know more violent yeah mm-hmm. yeah katie what are you what's what are your thoughts about um this sort of way that yeah. we're being reconstructed in these hyper toxic kind of um without any self reflection mm-hmm. right ways i think as a Central American watching this movie, I wasn't surprised by the content, truthfully. Um, in thinking about the ways in which Central American people have historically experienced sort of an othering by, like, Mexican-Americans when it comes to, like, spaces that do become Latinx-dominated. When I saw the title, I was like, yeah, okay, this is going to be a male-centered, like, American-made sort of, like, birth if you will of like the Chicano as sort of like this political figure this figure that's got agency that this presentation of LA is sort of homogenous in its Mexicanness and a total erasure of like Central Americans and other Latinx population like populations that also reside there and have historically contributed to that um, economy in various ways it felt very much like to be honest in watching it as a woman um that it was a man's sort of impressions of L.A. belongs to us, right, Chicanos, and specifically it belongs to and is like sort of destined for um, a taking back from sort of these infrastructures that kind of Anglo-America has decided as a way of kind of controlling that space. Um, So I felt like the violence in many ways narratively is justified by the writers because they're sort of encouraging us to think about not only as El Chicano, a superhero who sort of successfully assimilated into this environment, but one who sort of has that birthright because this space, like, you know, and there's tension between sort of like, was this land ever Mexican? And there's not necessarily a, a recogni- like recognition of it as indigenous land, right? Um, it's very nation versus nation, nation, which I think is very important to underscore. But there's sort of this suggestion that it's the Mexican-American with the emphasis on that hyphen between Mexican-American who is destined to this land and is sort of suggested to be like reasonably taking it back from like colonial rule. Um, and that distinction then between Mexican-American and Mexican is really strong. Um, so I think that that to me then from that title of El Chicano, understanding that as being sort of our 
way of framing how we're expected to enter into this space, I wasn't too like too shocked, truthfully, by the content that ultimately is on screen. And for the record, like I think it's like totally inaccurate and problematic and horrible. But it felt very much sort of like those like tenets that we see by sort of like the old boy Chicano club of like this is what we uphold as sort of our moral system because it's a very like women absent film and very just yeah, hyper 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 hyphen masculine. So. Yeah, just jumping off of that, Katie, if I can, yeah. uh, and thinking about the representations of women in the film, we really don't have too many representations, mm-hmm. and the representations that we do see are imagery, images that we see over and over again. So we have um, La Virgen, she appears on a mural, uh, and she's uh, behind mm-hmm. one of the characters that's speaking in the film. Um, he's like, um, I, I guess part of that old guard, he's teaching yeah. uh, the community about uh La raza and the community, uh, but um, you know we have La Virgen and at the beginning of the film appear, uh, sort of this silent image as a backdrop, literally. Mm-hmm. And um, the other images that we see uh, of women in the film are the girlfriend who's there to m- mostly provide emotional support for the uh, main character as he goes on his sort of hero's journey of becoming mm-hmm. El Chicano. And um, the mother, but she's automatically cast off as very emotional, according to the main character, mm-hmm. and that he can't work with her um, because she's she has too many emotions. So we have a, a, a writing off of the women in this film, um, and not that that's surprising in a film called El Chicano, mm-hmm. since, as Katie had mentioned, uh, the, just from the title of the film, we can sort of surmise uh, though that this film may be male-centered, though we can hope for more, but... Right. Um, if we're understanding that the Chicanos movement of the 60s and 70s was mostly a movement centered around La Raza, but um, wasn't as focused on issues of gender as mm-hmm. we saw later in later movements like the Chicana feminist movement in the 80s, um, then we can uh, sort of understand the uh, political tenets of this film. Um, and I also did want to touch a little bit on sort of the legacy of El Chicano, since this is a film that is based in L.A. Uh, It starts off in the, like, 70s uh, and then moves to sort of current day and sort of seeing that progression where uh, we have, you know, uh, El Chicano, this superhero figure. He, like, takes the different forms through people, different people throughout the generations. But recognizing this as sort of generational, I think, is something important to note just because... um, you know, these ideas of, of superhero-dom and um, ideas of, you know, cultural nationalism through the appropriation of indigenous um, symbolism continue mm-hmm. to happen throughout the years in ways that are um, not entirely self-reflexive. So I also wanted to point that mm-hmm. out. Yeah, really interesting. Um, yeah, so, you know, kind of off of both of these points, what do we do with the sort of widowed now um, kind of come come into the sort of kingpin role there at the end mm. of the Mexicana who's like screaming, I'm coming after you, right? Oh. Um, She's a villain. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I just bouncing off what y'all have been saying, uh, Katie and, and Danny, that the representations of women are so stereotypical, right? Mm-hmm. To the point where I don't even think that we're not introduced to the, uh, Chicano's girlfriend until I didn't uh, even. I, it's like, not memorable. Yeah, it's not, for sure. It's happened like yeah. way like into the film, like almost halfway, and then the first scene, 
all about caring for uh, this this character, right? Yeah, at the end, uh, it, it's interesting because now the the she's white, right? Essentially, and also that she's uh, you know a villain immediately, uh, and and there's no other. Like, she's shooting her gun in the air. There's no development of her character. She's just there to be a placeholder for villainy, right? And 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 then to set us up for a sequel, which hopefully never gets made. But it's, again, in service of elevating or promoting the idea of a Chicano, right? That now there needs to be a Chicano to go fight against this villainy, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just very... And it's also, it also has this nationalistic sort of uh, implications too, because you know the the Mexican American thing is interesting because American is in all capitals, right? And so it makes me think about you know again this way of doing things right and the privilege of uh, do, you know having citizenship or you know the privilege of of being here, um, you know, and not having to cross, et cetera, et cetera. But like, there's this very nationalistic sort of tendencies where Mexican-American good, Mexican bad, right? And you can hear, even George Lopez has a line in the film where he says, fucking Mexicans. And I'm just like, oh, you know? It's like, why would you say that? Like, you know? And and then at the end with that, she's in Mexico, right? And so there's this very heavy juxtaposition between, you know, American-Mexican good, or Mexican American good again. Mexican nationalism dangerous, mm-hmm. bad. Or even wouldn't we? Couldn't we go so far as to say, um, American good? Right, yeah. Because mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. eradicated the parasitical, the yeah. the disease of Mexicanness, right? Um, and of course, now at the end, our final image is. The, f- the one time we finally have a Latina, uh, Mexicana with a voice is in, again, this really stereotypical way. But like you guys were saying, set up for a sequel where it's going to require the eradication of our Mexicanidad in order to be American, Right, uh, Amer- right. Like you guys were saying, this kind of clash of nationalities. So yeah, the v- the, it's not just vigilantism. It's it's the making of a superhero whose sole task is to eradicate Mexicanness from our Mexican Americanness, right? No. Crazy. I also just think too. So, like that final scene. I mean, it's a it's effectively an inheritance scene, right? Because it's like okay, like from what I remember. Um, I'm trying to distance myself temporarily from this film as much as possible. But it's like you have the death of the father and the son duo, right? So it's sort of like the firstborn child, presumably you could make the case for, who's like posed to kind of inherit this sort of like um, what we're encouraged to see is sort of like this villainous empire, if you will. Both of them have been murdered. So the natural Mm -hmm. progression must be that now a woman takes over. So once again, it's always like, okay, women as reactionary. But not only that, that it's going to be women who are posed to sort of inherit the like expectations and burdens of their male partners or male siblings or male parents, right? And therefore that necessitates a kind of response from her. I just wonder had it had there been sort of another son per se written into the family, mm. um, would we have had that moment? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think it's really significant that it's literally on the backs of her male family at that sort of burial site that we have. And almost in some ways she's then kind of like this ghost or shadow emerging from their um, 
their caskets, but then also the fact that like we're posed to understand the kind of ideal Mexican and Mexican-American scenario as being that Mexican-Americans are assimilated if they are partaking in state-sanctioned violence vis-a-vis sort of taking on or inheriting like positions in border patrol and positions in LAPD and positions in government where they're able to sort of enact this kind of violence that we're understood to be to protect and serve, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. when we think about like how Mexicans are represented in the film, they're sort of positioned as their violence is something that has to be eradicated, right? It's a terrorist act. And the consistent parallels drawn, especially in a post 9-11 moment, the consistent parallels drawn of like, we need to understand that American guns are good and those coming from a different place are what's bad. And simultaneously, the U.S. never reckoning with the fact that like the U.S. is just as guilty of sort of like funneling guns, for example, to like El Salvador for the Civil War. Like the U.S. has mm. been, in terms of a transnational history of violence, responsible for the ammunition that folks mm. then turn around and have. And right. And like some of like these gangs that they're opposed to are also actually like mm-hmm. born of the U.S. So I yeah. think that there's an intentional blurring and a picking and choosing of what histories to include that's really significant. And I think that that's why it's not surprising to me then that what we effectively have is a narrative about an LAPD officer who's always situated as morally upright, but not only that, is effectively repressed in his role of having taken on the state-sanctioned ammunition that effectively no longer proves to be useful in his sort of avenge quest for his brother. Therefore, he has to tap into this savage inner Mexican through that sort of the like sacred knife or whatever, if you will. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like this bloodbath is like this release of this repressed Mexicanness. So I would actually argue that like effectively what we have happening is like a character who on the outskirts still is posing as Mexican-American and can pass as Mexican-American because he's affiliated with LAPD. But what we're really getting is like a return to savagery narrative where it's like, oh, but now that he's in connection with sort of that like traditional naturally occurring Mexicanness. Now he's like tapped into this superpower. And as Carlos pointed out as we were watching this film, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, brown men are naturally physically built to be savage. And I think that's a really dangerous message to be portraying because this film in many ways is an affirmation of Trump language and also the language of past just like administrations and like the rationale people have used to deport people, right? Yeah. Um yeah, you have a lot there yeah. um, that I would like to sort of um, unpack in terms of uh, thinking about the... I felt that there was a lot of ambivalence regarding yeah. the term El Chicano in the film and, and the way that um, El Chicano, for understanding from like cultural nationalism, cultural nationalism of the 1960s and 70s, this is idea of mestizaje, so like um, the mixing of like Spanish, uh, European, and indigenous blood, but also at the expense of anti-blackness. Um, but if we do have this cultural mixing, it's sort of this idea of, you know, I'm colonizer, but I'm colonized. Um, and But I don't know if we exactly have that positionality in the film because uh, we have Mexican-American in all caps. And so that seems to be, um, as Dr. Aldama and Katie have sort of pointed out, this uh, pushing down of uh, Mexicanidad um, in order to favor American exceptionalism. So on the one side, we have this sort of, or we have a duality of, on the one side, we have American exceptionalism, state-sanctioned violence through, like, the police mm-hmm. and the military uh, and, like, masculinity um, and, and men who are sort of agents of this state-sanctioned violence. Um, and Chicanos at that. But then on the other side, we have sort of um, not indigeneity, but um, as in 
sort of a representation of indigeneity yeah. and, um, you know, magic and sort of uh, violence. And so uh, that's sort of um, stemming from pre-colonial uh, backgrounds. And so I think that the film is very ambivalent in terms of thinking about uh, this idea of El Chicano, I think it's very much in the vein of American exceptionalism and pushing sort of down Mexicanidad because at the ending of the film, we see that, you know, this a woman who is set to inherit this this empire, uh, mm-hmm. she is, um, you know, presumably across the border. Um, so she is read as Mexican, um, as George Lopez said, you know, the, those horrifying words. Uh, and then she, so she's read as other already. Uh, and and I think that and, and is dangerous and is reactionary. And something that I also think about is her character. Uh, when I was looking at her, she kind of reminds me of uh, La Llorona, um, yeah. but she's in black. She's got that lace over her face, and then she's kind of grieving, but then she's very angry. It it doesn't. Um, it reminds me of uh, the recent film La Llorona that we also had a podcast on um, a little bit earlier this year. Uh, and it's not surprising given that um, Chicanos usually, when they conceptualize La Llorona in contrast to Chicana feminists who have sought to reclaim this figure of La Llorona, they usually associate her with grieving, with um, you know this sort of reactionary uh, emotions. So I think that it doesn't surprise me that we have that that mm. sort of rendering towards the end of the film. Yeah, let me throw some other things out the here that I know you guys were like probably ate a, at least a couple of cakes yes, be- just did. to get it out of your brain. <laughs> but yeah, so of course we have women who are barely visible. When they are visible, we have the the virgin, the whore, the mm-hmm. the kind of the hot tempered even, um, you know, um, versus the kind of more domestic, you know, there to comfort, right, with food, etc. But then there's the block party, there's the nightclub, right, and hypersexualized. And let's not forget that the origin story is split. It's not just Diego and his brother that we encounter in the beginning. It's the character Shotgun. And the first thing we see is the mama... Behind a window, mm. what's she doing? Carlos? She's, I mean, she's essentially beating uh, the the drug king. Yeah, shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So very. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it happens just like in every culture where you where you have children, right? But it just really paints. First of all, paints Latinas in a really bad light. Uh, because there's no further development beyond that, right? Uh, we never see her again as a character. Uh, but it's it's yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it's using that to to justify where this guy's gone with his with his the way he thinks and where he's going with his sort of uh, criminality, right? Um, I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, I think it's important that it's like in the house, right? And I think the the idea that like violence is is learned at home, um, and effectively since mm-hmm. he does become a villain, right, and is sort of associated with Mexicanness and sort of a Mexicanness that's intentionally oppositional to and has no desire to really become sort of like the same kind of Mexican American that's assimilated. I think mm-hmm. that there's a way in which it very much visualizes a suggestion that like Mexico is an inherently violent country and by proxy an inherently like violent culture that then is generationally passed down. Mm-hmm. And I think 
And hear from the woman, from the Latina, right? Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that really matters because it's sort of the suggestion also. I mean, you can make the argument, right, that like it's from the womb that these things take place. Mm -hmm. It's not like something that he learns out on the streets, right? Um, And I think that that there's a way in which it really suggests and solidifies this notion as like the woman or the mother is sort of being the domestically credible figure, right? Because there's sort of also the stigma attached to brown and black families that like the father leaves or the father is not as like invested or involved in the caretaking of the child. I think it's really important that this is like the mother effectively becomes this political vessel through which like the idea of like, oh, Mexican, like all Mexicans or like all Latinxs or Chicanxs are going to experience this violence in the home. And that's why it's like trying to diagnose uh, like a reason that we see this be the case. And I think that's a really big problem. Yeah. Within the first few moments of the film, we see not only Shotgun's mother beating him through the window, but then we also see that Shotgun's father is killed by El Chicano. And so not only are we having this violence enacted upon Shotgun uh, by his mother, but then the absence of the father. And I think that that speaks to the elements of power in the film because throughout the rest of the film, we don't really see if women you know, are exerting, they're not really exerting a sense of power, I would argue, um, just because they're either rather rendered silent, they're sort of uh, as backdrop. Uh, and I think that we even hear them referred to as like, quote unquote, bitches. All the time. Uh, and I'm like, that's a really, that's a really violent coding to refer to women. That's a very violent language. But then that also makes sense in terms of the film understanding that like, you know, if uh, shotgun feels characters like shotgun feel that they have been sort of disempowered, especially by women who are in positions um, above them, such as maternal figure, then it would only make sense to like, like have this, if we're thinking about toxic masculinity, this overcompensation and like where men are trying to exert other forms of power over women. And that could be through language. So it's really interesting too, that the, the initial introductions to the Latinx family are all violent. Right. And totally. that, and that, that, that party outside, right. That, uh, you, there was one moment where, uh, you know, presumably a, a gangster, right. Runs in with guns and he goes to hide. Right. And so we have that, right. This idea of also Latinx criminality, but especially Mexican bodies being criminal and, and hiding. Right. And then that's kind of speaks to this, uh, theme that we've seen for a long time where to, we go to Mexico to escape, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. also the the violence against the father. Right. And then the violence through the window, I think, is an interesting uh, sort of uh, way to look at that scene because it becomes a window like into the Latinx home. Right. And a, a stand in for Latinidad, not just Mexicanness, Right. But like this is the way to view uh, Latinx folks or Latinx family as violent. Right. And that it, through the window that we see that we see it through the perspective of the, the, the boys. Right who are kind of like laughing it off kind of, right? So that was just interesting too, just to go back to that scene and really think about yeah. the the window and the placement of, of the beating that occurs. I mean, yeah. it's a family portrait, yeah. right? I mean, if you think about the actual yeah. material object of like the family picture that's usually framed, I mean, a window effectively achieves the exact same function. And I think that like the fact that it's like, there's nothing covering it, right? There's like no bars, no curtains, not like no kind of like separation between us. I think it, I mean... To me, that looks like sort of what is the violent underbelly that's being coded is like intrinsically what like Latinx families are are made of. And that's that's a big problem because that's framed us from like the first second, as Carlos is saying. And that really is the like way we're encouraged to like witness the rest of the film. 
So as we kind of wind down here, because we're coming um, to the end of our our podcast, um, we do have so uh, clearly the kind of issue of absentee fathers killed or in jail. Um, but then there are two kind of ad hoc, you know, father figures. There's Captain um, Gomez, George Lopez, and there's the figure of he- uh, Jesus Salas, right? Um, but of course, you know, we've already identified, you know, Captain Gomez as someone who is like, you know, we are American, right? And not even we're Mexican American, but like we're American and we need to kind of eradicate that Mexicanness. Um, and then Jesus Salas, his character, even though he comes to be the kind of the cipher, the one who's kind of bringing history into the story, it's a very masculine history, right? Um, the Zutsu riots, but you know, we really just see the kind of the the the, the men, the expropriation of lands, the revolu- the Los Angelinos who revolts, et cetera. That whole history, the Aztecs, you know, pre-Columbians, all very masculine, very toxic, ma- masculine. But as we end here, maybe we can just speculate a second. Um, you know, the co it was co-written. There was a, a Chicanex. He's a, usually a stuntman in his career life, um, and um, Hernandez uh, Brea, and then his co-author um, Joe Carnahan, white guy known for things like um, Blood Guts and Octane, um, A-Team, you know, really kind of be kind of flick, uh, but very masculine, um, sort of white masculine films. Um, and I just wonder, maybe we can just kind of speculate a minute, you know, how much did the the Chicanex, you know, get a real voice here in terms of complicating and how much did this Joe Carnahan kind of come in and and try to put a spin on Latinidad that he thought would appeal to you know non-Latinxes non-Chicanxes I'm just speculating I don't know uh well I mean it makes me think um to studying for exams I read Christopher Gonzalez's permissible narratives and thinking about how um early successes of you know latinx narratives kind of were uh set the tone of what was marketable right and so for speculating here to think about like well how are we going to make this story marketable for non-latinx audiences right and so just maybe that had an influence right that that this could like well you know i don't know if you want to tell this story this way you know because we're going to need some blood or we need some action we're going to need this we need that you know and and Man, the emphasis on the knife when it's plunging into people is really just like, you know, I don't know where it comes from. And it, it, I mean, it's hard to speculate, too, on, on sort of the intentionality of both these uh, directors. But, yeah, it's worth some, it's worth investigating to see how expectations of Latinx film or Latinx actors or Latinx stories are, are filled with these gangster motifs, right? These narco motifs, these really violent motifs. And, you know, is it possible to envision a story about Latinx people, about Mexican people specifically here that does not include violence? Mm. Yeah, I think that if I'm understanding the Chicano movement uh, through Chicano feminism and thus my reading of the film, uh, you know, I think that um, it doesn't surprise me that the film relies a lot on the idea of 
uh, cultural nationalism and uh, ideas of la raza and uh, these sort of um, these mythologies that um, were already problematic to begin in the first place, foundational for civil rights, but um, you know the occlusion in terms of thinking about uh, women, uh, issues of gender, issues of sexuality within the movement that was already problematic. So um, it's hard to say, you know, and to point the finger in terms of like, you know, how or you know uh, what was the you know intentions behind this film because um, we still see a, a product that is. Uh, relying on ideas of cultural nationalism. Mm -hmm. I wonder, too, if maybe we could actually, like, look more at sort of, like, geographical context, because from what I saw, it looks like Joe Carnahan is from Michigan, so he's from the, like, Midwest, right? And there's a lot of anti-Latinx Midwest sort of banter that we see between, like, the two um, partners that we all kind of picked up when when Mm -hmm. we watched it together. And I almost wonder if perhaps sort of the two co-writers sat down together and in some ways thought about like or like went back and forth about what are the stereotypes we each have of these different regions and almost use that as their starting point to sort of bring together what ends up being is a partnership right between like a Latinx man from the Midwest who's consistently told like quote-unquote he can't hang and then we have sort of this East Los grounded Latinx person who ultimately is the one who one gets to survive and two mm. is the one who actually is able to tap into this like supposedly natural Mexicanness mm. of savagery. So there's a way in which like Midwest Latinxes are discounted and literally expelled from the narrative violently through like the partner being shot and like there's a really horrific scene in which the camera really mm. zooms in on us watching him bleed out as the car is spinning. And I think that there's a way in which Latinx Midwest folks are made disposable but also like there's this suggestion that i think that perhaps maybe if like to make that reach if we're thinking about these two geographies that they're sort of writing from potentially they're thinking about like how are they ultimately crafting a narrative that suggests to be sort of like really truly mexican-american or like you have to be in the southwest and more specifically southern california wow all right well i think um we won't be seeing a sequel, given that it only, uh, you know, it cost eight million to make. It only like drew in about one point eight million. So yeah, thank goodness, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but with that, thank you for joining us f- for the this session of Professor Latinx. Thank you.